this week on the Digital Dust Podcast. So welcome to season two. Season two! Doing a little life update. Yeah. Where were you? Where are you now? Welcome back, everybody, to season two of the Digital Dust Podcast. Woo! We made it back. I'm Robin. I'm Liz. I'm Katie. And I am Patrick. <laughs> Definitely that missed that. Be? It's kind like of spooky. A, like Casper, the friendly ghost? Yeah. Yeah, that's me. I'm a couple Patrick. months early. <laughs> as soon as we hit September, I'm in fall mode. So. True. Me too. Me too. Love, Love fall. Have had so many Starbucks fall drinks. Mm. Oh my god! All the pumpkin cold brew. All the mm-hmm. pumpkin cold brew is so good. So good. So welcome to season two. Season two. We, we made it. We made it. We hope uh, you missed us. We missed you. Oh, yeah. so much. Though we've seen you on social, so we love seeing you on keep social. up there. We love it. It's fantastic. What are we talking about today, guys? Doing a little life update, a little summer rewind, I guess. Yeah. We're doing a, where are where they the heck now? were you? <laughs> yeah. Where were you? Where are you now? <laughs> yeah. So, I guess we'll just start with recaps. Where? What were you guys doing over the summer? I mean, we talked about it. Plug for season one, episode seven, where we gave a little t- teaser. Teaser about what we were gonna do but now we're gonna actually go through and be like what did what did you actually do tell us about your summer you can also include non-work related things if you had fun things happen over the summer i can i can start uh so i worked at the holocaust center in toronto i worked remotely so i was actually in waterloo as i mentioned before i'm still in my childhood bedroom living it up And I did research for them mainly. I like to refer to myself as a research intern now on my resume because it sounds fancy. Better than just like intern or like practicum student, which is what my email signature said. And yes, I had an email signature. It was like the peak of my life. Amazing. It was so fantastic. But I did mainly research on Holocaust photography. So looking into photos that were not in the collection of the center in Toronto, but like at the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum, at Yad Vashem, at a bunch of the archives in Germany. I would do research into those, and then I would basically present to the director a list of photographs that I think should be put into the new space. So in 2023, there's going to be a new museum in, I guess it's like technically North York, but we're just going to pretend it's Toronto, okay? If you're not from Toronto, you don't know the region, so it's fine. Um, But there's going to be a new museum. It's going to be great. Go visit it in 2023 when it opens. And I was doing like the photographs for it. So being like, this is a really interesting photograph of XYZ. And this is why we should put it in. It was a great use of my art degree. Really loved that. Got to do a little like formal analysis for them. Got to be like, that's really cool. They would be like, what's line? Yeah, actually, the director also had an art history degree, so we could be like, look at this three-quarter Dutch Renaissance turn, and everyone else is like, what does that mean? (laughs) What does that mean? Yeah. It's just like, um, you know, like, girl with the pearl earring? Uh, You know, it's like that kind of, like, awkward turn. Oh, I see. So it's like the the side profile kind of, okay, I get it. That's mainly what I did. I also, like, did other things, you know. I have, like, we, we have other questions, so I won't go into everything I did, but I mainly looked at photography, and then I spent, like, the last month just watching, like, hours and hours of recorded testimony to try and find, like, two-minute clips that, like, succinctly told the story. You can imagine how difficult that is when some of the testimonies are six hours long. Wow. But... It was great. I really honed that ability to like listen and also write, take notes. Great, great technique. Yeah, it was, it was good fun. I mean, fun. It feels so weird using the word fun. (laughs) I was going to say, this must have been tough too. 
Yeah, I wanted to ask you, like, how are you making sure you're taking care of yourself? And, like, do you kind of get desensitized to it after a while? Or, like... Yeah, so that's a great question. Because, like, historians of violence, it's a very difficult field. And some people won't go into it for that reason. And that's totally valid. I was definitely not reading, like, heavy books or, like, doing heavy things in my after hours. I was reading, like, romance novels and, like, the, the most, like, I was watching The Good Place, which is actually, like, heavy in a different way. Love it. Oh, Good yeah. Place. Love it. Oh, I was watching The Olympics. Oh, my God, I love The Olympics. Sorry, that was a tangent. Love The Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, making sure that you, like, can turn off. And then also... I think it's really important, and I read a whole book on this called The Movine by Wendy Lauer, which, if you're interested in Holocaust photography, I would highly recommend. It's about one specific photo that we're not using in the exhibition, because um, it's very graphic. But uh, she talked a lot about like photos bearing witness, and especially when you know who took the photo, you can kind of recognize why photos were taken and realize that in some cases a lot of these are resistance photos, and the idea was to be able to tell this story and in other cases recognizing when it's a perpetrator photo and being able to acknowledge that as something and kind of use it as a jumping off point to talk about like why did the Germans and their collaborators think that they could get away with this and what does that photo tell us about their mentality or their belief system or something like that but there are definitely a handful of photo photos that are really really graphic and then a bunch that are more like graphic when you understand the context around them. And that can be difficult as well. But I've definitely done this for more than just this summer. So I, I kind of knew what I was doing going into it. I had studied a Holocaust photographer before and I had that background. So that helped like knowing what I was, what life was like going into it. And then of course, taking breaks when they need to take breaks or switching topics or doing things like that. But yeah, it's a very tough subject. But visit yeah. when you're in Toronto. It'll be great. But it sounds like you managed your time pretty well. And like, that's probably something that you couldn't have gone without if you wanted yeah. to do a good job there. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I was like, there were some times when I was like, man, I just need to be on TikTok for like five minutes right now to just like clear my brain. Yeah, that was that's my neat. summer. So the photos that you chose are going to go into this new museum, is that? So hopefully. I don't think all of the ones I chose will end up there, and I don't think only my selections will be there. There's, like, lots of politics around Holocaust um, photography and, and memory. But, yeah, basically what I did is I found a bunch of photos, and then I presented them to the director. We talked about them, and then I narrowed it down and sent them over to the designer to be like, these are the photos I think should go places and I presented all the research to the designers as well and then they'll figure out what looks best because like a lot of these photos if you blew them up like you know it'd be like I don't know design that's not my area of expertise <laughs> but he knows what's up he knows what's happening but hopefully at least some of them will be used I, I think at least one will be used. I think I oh, can confidently <laughs> say that. You have to show us a little easter egg. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to walk around that museum and like the person who's with me is going to be like, this is so annoying because I'm going to point out every single thing that I had a hand in. <laughs> How many pictures did you choose in total? Um, I, so probably, I probably sent over about 75. Okay. Yeah. From a much larger, there's like, man, USHMM, the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum has like I want to say 30,000 photographs like it's insane it's wild and then there's a bunch of others enough about me uh yeah so um in some ways my summer is not over um because uh so basically so we were all doing our internships over the summer uh my internship is a six-month placement so my internship is going till early November um, but yeah, I'm doing my internship with No History, which is a historic research consulting firm. We're currently actually the biggest firm in Canada right now. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, 
And basically what we specialize in is Indigenous history. Uh, our biggest clients are the Métis Nation of Ontario and the Métis Nation of Alberta. And what we do is we um, manage all of their registries. So they have the MNO and the MNA have these amazing registries where anyone who's a citizen can go on and access their, um, basically their history and like their entire family trees. And they submit all their documents. So when we're kind of looking at how do we verify that you do have Métis ancestry and then we can use that to give you citizenship. We do all the backend research. So basically you send in your documents, we look at them, we verify them, we upload them into the registry and we kind of build out your whole family tree. So part of my job this summer was just doing that, which is really fun. We call it file review. Um, it was really neat to just like look at censuses and like baptism records and like a lot of them, cause it's Métis, so a lot of them are in French. A lot of them were like, really old um like catholic records that were in latin so i was like not only am i good at like now reading really old timey scrawly writing but like also in french and in latin so um that was that has been really fun so but yeah there's so many or you know you'll get like, some really juicy ones of like this person had like a second secret wife you know you like get to follow the, the paper trails and there's all sorts of drama so it's kind of fun yeah i think it's so cool that you got yeah cursive at the back of your hand right there because like that's a skill that's not even taught anymore i will say it's it's something it's nice to be able to like i couldn't imagine doing this without computers like i have a nice big monitor and i'm able to zoom in on things like i couldn't imagine like having to do it actual paper although at the same time like there are some i was dealing with a lot of records today that someone had just like cropped instead of giving me the whole record they cropped all the information out of it and certain parts of the of their record were like cut off because they're all these big ledgers right like the baptism records and stuff and so i'm like and they're such shitty photocopies so i'm just like i can't read this it's like not only is someone going like this and like writing like crazy but they're also like super grainy and like the whole thing isn't there so there's certain things what's nice is we so our registry is also backed up through ancestry.ca or com or like whatever um so a lot of the records that we use we have access to through ancestry so I, those are like beautiful scans that i can like zoom in but sometimes like they're really old or for whatever reason it's just this tiny little church so no one's ever you know accessed the records before so it's harder to do but oh my god totally oh even just like why is there a piece of paper blocking this part of the page like come on come on people Oh, you know it's just like ninety-year-old Betty who's like in the church archive, just like oh, poor Betty, no. not even doesn't know where the scanner is. Yeah, exactly. I've known so many Bettys like that. <laughs> Me too. <I> know. <laughs> <laughs> we love you, all the Bettys out there. But you know. yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was not fun. <laughs> what I wanted exactly. But again, usually more cases than none, there's like usually a duplicate out there somewhere. But I also get very good at like, like there's so many things that you don't think about until you start doing this work that I don't know, like you're just um, spelling of names. Okay, so mm. I need to look for a Joseph. Uh, yeah, I guess. Well, this is John. I need to look for a John Doe. Um, immediately I go J-O-H-N. But it could also be Jean. J-E-A-N, <laughs> like, because everything's in French, right? So a lot of it's like, oh, I couldn't find a Mary whatever. It's like, well, did you try Marie? Did you try Maria? <laughs> la, la, la. You have to, right. like, try all these different yeah. things. So at first I was just like, you get, you get your researcher and, like, investigative brain starts to come out, which is kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so what we do... Yeah, so what we do is everyone has a ID number. So that's the only reason, like, um, that we can kind of keep track of everyone in the registry is there, we literally have so many, like, like John Doe's or whatever else. And so everyone gets a unique number, so we could have an infinite number of Marys and whatever else. And if that person, a lot of the time, too, like, one person's name will be spelled multiple different ways on multiple different records, either their first name or their last name. So what we do is on Ancestry, um, everyone has facts. So what we, what a lot of what my job is is going in and looking at records and 
every little event in your life, we create a fact for it and then we connect it to a record. So we operate through what's called a burden of proof. So I can't give you, like I can't verify someone's Métis ancestry because you told me that your grandmother, you know, you think your grandmother was 118th or whatever. I need a, a piece of paper proving that your grandmother is who she says she was, she's from these parents and then we can track the lineage through there. So a lot of what we do is like, here's my baptism record. It tells me the date that they're born. So I go in and I create a birth fact. And it says the year that they're born, the day they're born, whatever else, um, where they were born. And then a fact about like, here's where the record is, connects to the record. Then we do the baptism. And then the baptism lists the parents and it also lists the godparents. And then I have to create, if they don't have profiles already, I create a profile for those godparents. And then the godparents get a witness fact. So it proves that they were godparents and they witnessed this person's baptism and that connects to that person so like everything is so thorough so like you'll have multiple censuses every census needs a residence fact and the residence fact has to include the marital status and like everything that's listed on on the census so you everything that we do has to have a certain standard as well it's the thing about working for a corporation is everything has to be consistent so there's like this 100 page word document of just ancestry standards that you have to memorize so now i can do it no problem you can give me a, a census and i can format it with the exact amount of semicolons you gotta do a semicolon here but then a, a period here and you have to say you can't say you know baptist uh this person was baptized you have to say baptized comma whatever and then all of the work that we do goes through QA or quality assessment, basically. So someone else looks at it and they pick up those same little small things. If I didn't do them properly or I missed something, I go back and I do it again. So if you love being thorough and you like like puzzles and challenges and like I really love like structure too and like rules to follow and like formatting, then you would love this job. You would love research and working with primary texts and documents. Um, but that's just a small part of my job. What, I've, what really kind of surprised me, I didn't know I was going to be doing work on this for my internship, but I've been doing transcription for um, a traditional knowledge and land use study. We've been doing a couple. And what those are um, is basically, so for two of them, we have had two different companies come to us um, and they are trying to propose uh, specific like environmental projects. So the first one was a gold mine up in um, Kenora, so way northern Ontario. And then the other one um, is a basically a hydro dam um, in like the Georgian Bay area. And so before they can do that, they have to approach the Métis Nation of Ontario and talk to them about making sure that we know where Métis citizens are harvesting, what they're harvesting, what time of year, all that kind of stuff. And if if um, this project is approved, how is it going to infringe their rights? How is it going to impact the environment? All that kind of stuff. So we go into communities and we interview um, and do oral histories for a bunch of different Métis citizens. And it's so cool because like one I was doing the other day was this woman who was like, I think 20, like around our age, like in her kind of like early mid twenties. And like, she's like, oh yeah, I'm studying to be like a hunter uh, or a, a trapper's helper. And I, you know, basically hunt all my food and I forage everything. And like, I'm like, this is so cool. Cause a lot of them are old people, right? Like a lot of them are people who are a little more grounded in the traditions of the Métis Nation. And a lot of them are, or they live very remotely. And so all you can do is pretty much hunt. That's the best way to, to uh, provide for yourself but yeah it's just so cool and I love it because of my national park knowledge and of my love of environmental history so it's really cool to be like this is where the morel mushrooms are and this is where this mushroom is and this is where we find those berries and like a lot of the people I work with don't really know like how to identify different things but I'm so into it and they talk about the medicinal uses and the traditional uses of things so that's what I'm really loving I didn't think that I would be working on a project like that so that's what I'm hoping for if I can continue with no history and my contact contract gets extended I want to like really specialize on like doing oral history interviews and transcription and like leading um we call them TK so traditional knowledge studies but yeah and then I have my personal project as well um which is a podcast which is kind of fun about Bosley Island where I worked uh it's currently underway it's going to be done like mid-October so by the time it's out, I will probably be plugging it. Um, I'm sure the I can, get, yeah. oh, I can yeah. get some promo on the Digital Dust socials too For or whatever sure. else. So you guys can go listen. But it's cool because I've recorded a bunch of um, like interviews with people and the kind of experts and indigenous people um, kind of capturing all different aspects of the island's history. But I've also done a bunch of soundscapes. So 
what I've done is like recorded the boat ride to the island. So you actually like feel like you're being transported while I'm kind of introducing it. I've recorded different different things and like different atmospheres of different places. So I'm kind of messing around with like place-based history and oral history wow. and like doing it on a digital platform. So if it works, we'll see. I might start, I might, I'm thinking about maybe like trying to research it a bit and like write something about it. Maybe do like an NCPH thing or something. I don't know. You should. You go. Yeah. Incredible. The one thing I'm just noticing is that the world keeps throwing me into all these podcasts and like everything. Like people keep being like, oh, this podcast. And so I'm just trying to go with it. Like, yeah. 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 Embrace it. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, but don't leave us is the main thing. Yeah. No, yeah. Absolutely. You're not allowed no. to leave us. That's <laughs> no. You guys, You're not you guys were my first. You, you believed in me and that's all that matters. Yeah. So never Contractually. <laughs> yeah. Also, this one is just so fun. Like, I just get to be myself, and it's just yeah, you know, it's very. And fun. like, what a lovely combination of all your interests. Yeah, it's so right? lucky. Honest to God. That's why yeah. I really so love cool. it. It's just like everything is just kind of meshed together perfectly. So that's great. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. That's my summer. Super cool. Nice. Who's next? Love it. You want me to do it? Go ahead. Mine's so off the wall. <laughs> I find. Yours is so off the wall. <laughs> Well, now you got to talk about it. Okay. <laughs> What's so off the wall about it? It's so off the wall that it's not a history practice that you think of, I think. Yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah. you wouldn't Lay like, it on like us. if someone asked you to think of a job in history, you're not going to be like. Yeah. If I were to tell you, guess what my internship would be, this would be the last thing you'd guess. <laughs> and I think that's how I even started my reflection paper for this internship that I finished. Because nice. <laughs> um, this summer. I was um, interviewing engineers and capturing their history and specifically Canadian engineers who've done significant achievements for for Canada. And uh, yeah, it's funny to think of this as not something that's typical of history, but if you really think about it, when you're talking about engineering, we're not usually talking about the history aspect of it. We're talking about the the product that came out of it maybe the numbers we're doing looking at reports scientific graphs all of this stuff but you're not talking about the people and the work behind it often so this is the idea behind the project to finally look at this new side of our past that we haven't explored share it hopefully uh, get people interested in engineering as well we're hoping to encourage younger students to look into that field and yes. um, share some fun stories so uh yeah i met with quite a few people this summer yeah it's fun these people are really interesting and they're similar to us and probably everyone who listens to this podcast who loves history and who has a passion when they talk about what they love so do these people when you ask them about the projects that they've done you can see their face light up you can hear the work oh it takes a special kind yeah. of person to be an engineer. Like, <laughs> you can tell when someone's an engineer. Yeah. Just like you can tell when someone's a historian. Like, yeah. Sure. It, that is so true. There is some, like, personality differences at times, <laughs> but nothing that you can't manage. But, yeah, you can tell, like, oh, this person's truly an engineer. And just the way that they think through problems as they were describing them, you're like, uh, okay. Mm-hmm. Or, like, even just getting into the interview itself. Like, I'd send them the questions. And then I had some people send it right back to me fully answered. They're like, this is what's going to happen. Like, they already Whoa. planned it out. <laughs> yeah. It made it way easier for me because I was like, okay, so this is what I need to focus on and make sure I know. And, like, I had some people when I'd ask them, like, tell me about your experience. They'd be like, uh, like, this is the data. This is the numbers that came out of it. But it was like, no, no, no. Like, I want to hear about you. And it's like, why yeah. would you want to hear about me? <laughs> <laughs> and I did. It was it was so cool. Like I spoke to people who worked on the Canadarm. Oh, that's which, so cool. Yeah, yeah. That's nuts. Definitely amazing, amazing men that I spoke to and so passionate as well. And hopefully by October as well there there might be another sort of podcast coming <laughs> coming your way if we see these interviews coming out online. You'll be able to see it for yourself or hear it for yourself as well. I I spoke to um the man that helped design the CN Tower. It was never designed the way that it is That's today, cool. but because of his work, it's standing tall and it's not falling due to wind <laughs> and snow pressures. Wow. Exactly. They gotta like, move with the wind. If they're too rigid, they'll just fall right over. Oh, exactly. I don't know how the hell you would oh, design man. a building to do that, <laughs> but like... It's really cool. There's like a... Well, he <laughs> works for like the, the Western Wind Tunnel, and that's where the stuff was being tested. 
Yeah, so you make like oh, mini models cool. and you like test it out. Though I yeah. think he was saying like the hardest part was recreating snow. Like when you want to figure out snow loads, especially because um, snow is unpredictable. It doesn't fall the exact same way every single time, especially with the distribution of weight. So you're like, dang it, how do I know that this roof's not going to collapse? So yeah, it wow. was quite interesting. Oh yeah. Wow. I I feel like what I what I'm thinking here is like the biggest oversimplification ever. But in essence. This man was like, how do I make this building really, really pointy yes. while also making it stick? Oh stand? my god, yeah. And you know what's so funny, too? So, like, at the time... More, <laughs> more pointy! The time he... The, this building that he built at the time was, like, the tallest one. And then he was called on to make the Sears yeah. Tower, which is, again, taller. Oh, cool. Yeah, and then he was called on to make another building that was supposed to be... That one never went up, but it was supposed to be taller than the Sears building. And I told him, like, this is so funny that you're being called on to kind of outdo yourself every time he's like no i didn't see it that way it was just part of the job <laughs> like okay <laughs> <laughs> all in today's work. work yeah i know it's like just wow. making really tall stuff yeah. and like i've had um just incredible stories from different engineers on how they got to where they were um like there's one uh, engineer in, in particular he's an electrical engineer he first started in um belgium when he was six years old when world war ii ended I know. I know. He always had a passion. All of them, that's a common th thread, by the way, science and math. If you love science and math, you might be going towards engineering. And, um, Which is yeah. exactly why I'm not in it. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was like, wow, that's not me. Yeah. But, um, he had such an interesting career path where he was like, yeah, I started out as like a engineer in Africa and I was working there for quite a bit in the oil fields. And then there was like, you know, there was a revolution there. And then I had to escape the country with my wife because we were in danger. Like, it was just insane. And, he's, and then he told me he finally moved to Canada because that seemed like the right choice. And, and I asked him, like, why did you choose Canada? And he said, oh, well, back when my country was liberated, there was actually a Canadian soldier that gave me a piece of chocolate. And this was the first time I've ever tasted it. And I've always remembered that. And that's one of the reasons he chose Canada. I know. Sweet. It's like so many fun, Canadian interesting, chocolate. and sweet stories that I was able to collect this summer and hopefully share Very soon. Cool. Yeah, so that's, that's been my awesome. internship. <laughs> All right, All last right. but not least. Oh, it's me. Okay, cool. So uh, I spent my summer working at Banting House National Historic Site, which is such a cool place. It's really awesome. For people who don't know, Banting, Frederick Banting, was the doctor who came up with the idea and essentially the discovery of, of insulin, um, which is a, a treatment for diabetes. And I have type 1 diabetes myself. I'm a, I'm a diabetic. And so uh, it was especially cool working there because this guy saved my life, uh, in essence, which is, which is really, really neat. The museum itself is essentially, it's his house from his time in London, Ontario. So it's a, it's a, just a small house museum. It's essentially, it's a, a, a restored house from his time when he was living in London in 1920. It's a really cool place. The, the insulin story is really interesting because it actually has, it has a weird sort of geographical uh, uh, tale, or I don't know how to word that properly. It's, it's weird geographically. Um, essentially, Banting came up with the idea for the discovery of insulin in this house that I worked at in London, Ontario. And he was going to take that idea to the University of uh, uh, Western Ontario and, you know, do research and stuff. But unfortunately, the medical building at Western was under construction and, and everyone was moving to a new medical building and stuff. And so they didn't have the space for him to do any of the lab work he needed to do. And so he had to go to the University of Toronto. And so now the insulin story is sort of tied up between London, Ontario, where he came up with the idea and Toronto, Ontario, where he came up with the actual discovery itself and did all the experiments and everything so my house <laughs> the house that i worked at is in london it's not in toronto but yeah so it's where he came up with the idea and so there's one room in particular that's really really special with the museum of course and I, I feel like the three of us know it but uh it's it's banting's bedroom essentially what happened was he won one night while he was falling asleep he was reading some articles about diabetes because he was preparing a lecture that he was going to be giving at western and essentially he woke up in the middle of the night and he had this idea out of the blue and he decided to write it down beside his bed uh, uh, in a little notebook that's beside his bed. And that idea turned into the discovery of insulin. And so we have essentially 
we've preserved as best we can his bedroom in the house and so we peel back the wallpaper so the papers from like the 1920s and stuff and we have Banting's bed frame in there and everything and so that room is a real sort of testament to space and and physical space and history and and sort of like place-based history and and where history actually happened um so it was very cool working there working in that house and being literally steps away from the room where the discovery of insulin happened it was pretty nuts and yeah so that's so that's where my internship was and the most of what i did i mostly worked with one collection in particular it's called the Teddy Ryder Collection, and it's a collection of artifacts that span the entire life of this guy named Teddy Ryder. And Teddy Ryder is known as being uh, the uh, patient of Bantings who lived the longest. So he lived from 1916 to 1993 uh, with diabetes, which is freaking absurd <laughs> for his time period, you know. He got his first insulin shot at the age of six by, by Banting himself. And so uh, the whole, essentially, the whole collection spans his whole life, and we have different insulin vials and, and diet sheets and, and, and record sheets where he wrote down how much insulin he gave himself, all that sort of stuff. Really, really cool collection. And so my job was to look through it all and to create an online exhibit and an in-person exhibit. So two different versions of an exhibit uh, that, that uses the same collection and has the same title. So uh, in terms of, like, plugs or something, uh, there is... <laughs> there is uh, what the exhibit online is live and it has been live for a little while so if you go to uh, bantinghouse.ca and uh, go to exhibits and then online exhibits and and on the website you'll you'll see if you scroll over that an exhibit titled i'm a fat boy now and that's the exhibit that i worked on so you you can go through it. it it starts off with an oral history interview a quick oral history interview that i had with teddy Ryder's niece who's the person who donated the collection. So I got to talk to her about her experiences with Teddy and everything like that, which was quite cool. And then if you actually click on the link itself, it'll take you to the full website. We use like a WordPress site for the exhibit. And so you can, it's like, oh my God, there's like seven, eight pages of letters and photos. And we were very fortunate in this collection. This is something that doesn't happen normally, but we were very fortunate to find at least one letter that represented one major part of Teddy Ryder's story. So literally, if I put all these letters side by side, you just read them all without any context, you'd basically be able to 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 see the whole story wow. of, of how he received. Wow, and that's stuff. wild. Yeah, yeah. Like we have the letter that uh, that like was essentially the the linchpin for him actually learning that Banting existed. <laughs> that that is that the no that way. The discovery happened. Yeah, yeah. There's a letter of like, hey, I heard about this researcher named Banting in Toronto and. Uh, I thought about your uh, your nephew, and uh, he has diabetes, right? Maybe you should go talk to them about this or whatever. And then, and then there's like the correspondence back to that guy from Teddy's father, being like, "Hey, my brother-in-law sent me this letter that you wrote him. Thanks so much. We're gonna totally get in touch with him and, and figure it out and wow. stuff." And, wow. And, yeah. So whole bunch of letters like that, and of course the 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 name of the exhibit comes from a letter written by Teddy himself, and it's a pretty well-known letter if you're a part of the sort of either the diabetes community or just know about the history of insulin. But uh, he wrote a, a letter to Banting about a year or so after his treatment, and it says something along the lines of, Dear Dr. Banting, uh, thank you for what you've done, or whatever. Uh, I'm a fat boy now, and I can climb trees, and I'm happy. Love, Teddy Ryder. I love Teddy. <laughs> you know, and he's just seven years old, and he's this little kid, and he's just writing and being like, I'm a fat boy now, and I feel great. And, and uh, you know, and, and, and so that phrase um, of him saying, him identifying himself as a fat boy has a lot of meaning for him, right? Because for him, thinness is equated with death um, and, and dying, which is what was going on with him. I mean, there are photos of Teddy from, from the day he got his first dose of insulin where he weighs like 20 pounds or something like that. And, and he's six years old. And yeah, and so being able to say that he's a fat boy now means he can eat and he can live and he can just be a person. And it's great. So anyway, so a very cool collection. I was so, uh, so honored to be able to, to be a part of that. Again, as a person with diabetes, it was just really, really cool to be able to spend my whole summer just dedicated to an old diabetic, a person, you know, a person from a very long time ago who had diabetes and able to sort of share his story. And it was it, the parallels were nuts. Uh, it got super emotional at times and it was fantastic. And I had a lot of fun. And the curator is great. So our first shout out of the season. Thanks, Grant, for a great summer. Thank you. You're, you're a pretty cool dude. You're pretty fun. <laughs> nice. Yeah. yeah, it's exciting. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, that was great. Loved hearing that. I mean, I, I knew what you guys were doing, but 
Loved the the summary anyway. So, what was the like most fun you had? The your favorite project, the your favorite day, something like that. The you know, your favorite thing, and then anything you didn't love or any challenges that you faced that you weren't maybe expecting to face. <laughs> I can go first. It's fine. <laughs> so, my favorite thing I got to do. I mean, I really enjoyed all of my work. I think we all really enjoyed all of our work. But one day we were in a meeting and. Um, one of my coworkers was like, oh, we found, we have this photo in the collection and I don't really know what it is. And she was like, oh, it's related to like X survivor because we have a lot of like scans of photos from survivor speakers who live in Toronto who are related to the center. And my colleague was like, yeah, like I don't really know what this photo is. Katie, can you look into it? And then somewhere along the way in that same meeting, we found another photo. And she was like, oh, can you just look into this as well? So I'll describe both photos. I can link one because it's in a different collection. So one of them was a photo from a couple days before liberation of prisoners in like on the tops of cattle cars. And from what we knew, it was taken by Czech partisans, which was kind of confusing. And then the other photo was from a displaced persons camp, so after the war, and it was like a bunch of people, and in the center of the photo was a black American soldier. And so I spent way too long. These photos were like things we had in the collection, like related to survivors, but not like all that important. Like we might use them in like a side project or something, but it's not like this was like really important, but I fell down so many rabbit holes, guys. I was living my best life trying to figure out everything I could about these photos. I was like watching every recorded testimony from anyone I could identify within the photos. I was like Googling and like reading about like black American soldiers and like their battalion units and then figuring out like if this man was maybe a liberator. And then I like zoomed in on this photo to try and figure out if I could see because they had unit patches on their shoulders And so I'm like looking at this, trying to figure out if I can see a unit patch. And then I found a photo album of other black American soldiers in Munich, which is where, I mean, the DP camp was slightly outside of Munich, but it was like close to Munich. And I'm like looking at these photos, trying to like compare to see if he's in these photos. I was having the time of my life searching these things. Anyway, it was like, and then I... I, (laughs) My, like, report in quotes, it was just an email. It was, like, 1,500 words. My poor colleague was probably like, girl, what What did you do? But, yeah, it was, oh, it was just so much fun. Yeah, it was really cool. And I felt like I learned just a bunch of, like, random stuff that I really didn't know, like, about the American Army, because I didn't know a ton about the American Army. And, yeah, it was, like, really fun. I had a lot of... A lot of fun. And it made me like really be like, maybe I actually really love research. Talked about that in my reflection. I was like, hmm, maybe I love research. And then in terms of challenges, I mean, I I literally wrote this question. Actually, I <laughs> plagiarized this question from our prof. We had to write a um, reflection. Thanks, Mike. And I just took, yeah, thanks, Mike. You'll meet Mike next week, actually. And I just took all of this from Mike. So thanks, Mike. But yeah, challenges. Um, Being online was kind of sad. Like I was totally remote, which was fine. Like my colleagues were pretty great about like responding to messages and questions and stuff. But sometimes it was like, man, like I have to wait half a day for an email that I could have just like turned to someone and been like, what is this? And then moved on with my day. So that was sad. But other than that, I don't think... I had too many, like, challenges that I wasn't expecting beyond what we already talked about, like, the challenges of the discipline itself and the emotional context. I think that makes Liz next, right? We're going in order. Okay, so the first one's, like, kind of what I I really liked, what my favorite part. Yeah. My favorite part... I don't know. I'm in the same boat as Katie where I was like, I really like research. Like, and I was honestly, I was really terrified going into this job because I wanted this job really bad. And I was just like, like, you know, yeah, I I was just so happy to have it when I was like, what if I did all this work and, you know, all these different things and I hate it. I hate the work. 
I don't. <laughs> I really, really, yay! <laughs> I don't hate what I That's do. That's great. Uh, <laughs> Job satisfaction. <laughs> so rare. It's yeah. a rare thing, Liz. It is, it's right? a rare thing. <laughs> yeah, I really love it. I love um, like the diversity of things. I am someone who, and I didn't really kind of, I didn't know this about myself, like. I guess in a professional sense until I started doing this job is that I am someone who like likes to do a bunch of things at once. I'm currently reading like three or four books right now. Like, you know, like I, yeah, I know oh Katie's God. probably like, oh, no. I could never. I got, like, two nonfiction <laughs> ones and like two fiction and yeah. Uh, I don't know. I just get bored of things and I like to do, I like to change it up. And so that's what's so cool about this job is I'm always working on like three or four projects at a time and I have X amount of hours per day to work on each project. And I just get to like, you know, I want to work on transcription for a little while and then I'm going to do some registry work or I'm going to edit my podcast or whatever. So I do really love that. And then I don't know anything that kind of stood out to me. I'm still not done. The thing is I'm still not done, right? Like I've got a long way to go. Um, but it's been really cool just like working with a bunch of historians. Every Most people have master's degrees and PhDs and it's really cool to just hear about people's interests and their hobbies and it's a very interesting environment to be in. If you, what's, if you like academia but you're like me and you don't know if you want to do a PhD but you love research and you still want to like make change in the world as a public historian, I highly recommend like research consulting. I think again you get to do all these different things you're it sucks with not being in person I feel like I, I get less of the like I'm helping people and like I'm like in a social kind of space and we're all kind of very similar that kind of stuff it's a lot harder to do that but yeah no I think just generally like the work itself has just been a good surprise to me like I really I really genuinely like this and the company too I mean if you can look into no history um, I'll leave their website link down below but if you're looking for an amazing organization that generally helps people. Right now we're doing an oral history proge um, project with Ganawage, um in Brantford uh, for a, a complete oral history documentary that we're doing pro bono. Um, like we're always doing things. We did a, um, a safe drinking water initiative for indigenous communities up north. Like we're, not only are we like, you know, bringing in, in clients and, and doing the work, but we're also like making change in communities, you know, outside of that. So everyone's, everyone's very similar to that. Um, and then in terms of challenges, I honestly think the biggest thing wasn't necessarily challenges in the work. I, I'm quite, I'm, I'm really good at adapting and changing and learning things very quickly. Um, the biggest thing was just transitioning into work itself and corporate life, especially working for a corporation. Mm -hmm. I'm used to work. I've worked the last, you know, eight, nine summers of my life. And almost all of those were with Parks Canada with a government organization. It's very, very different working for a corporation. It's kind of crazy. It's great because you have benefits and they'll pay you to drive places and you get swag, all the like free <laughs> merchandise and stuff, right? It's not, it's nice. It's so different. It's so different. So I really do love it, but it definitely had a lot of imposter syndrome. I'm still kind of going through it where, you know, it's really hard to like make mistakes and just be like, I'm learning, letting it go, that kind of thing. Um, especially when so many people are like so accomplished all around you and they're talking about their research and all the things that they're doing outside of their work as well. So it's mostly just been more of like a personal thing of just like learning to be confident and learning to you know, just work with others well. Um, there's always going to be people who you don't work with well at work or that you kind of butt heads with, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think the biggest thing was asking for help. I think maybe that's my biggest uh, piece of advice for people going into the workplace is ask for help. It's so hard, especially when it's really hard online, when like you have to send an email or a Teams message as opposed to just being like very casually, hey, like, can I ask you about this? Um, but I found it really hard to ask for help at the beginning that I felt like I was going to look stupid or that, you know, yeah. I should know this, but I don't know where to find the information. So the biggest thing is like asking for help and asking for help right away and not thinking about it and not having to wait and then like make a mistake and have to redo it because you didn't ask for help. So ask for help, find your voice. Like, again, I'm still working on it, but yeah. Okay. I guess it's nice. Me. So, um, favorite parts, I think. I have like five standout moments for me. I know it's a lot, but it's actually all the same thing. Because um, <laughs> lucky enough for me this summer, I was actually able to interview five uh -huh. women who are engineers who were some of the first to actually become engineers in Canada, get their degrees, even PhDs in engineering. 
And sometimes I was asking them nice. about that, and they're like, oh, yeah, that, that is pretty significant. It's like, yes, yes, this is huge. So hearing about their stories, what they <laughs> face, and then what they created, too, and, like, the space that they're making in the field, I was like, I'm so honored to be hearing this right now and sharing it. So for me, that was, like, one of my, my favorite parts. All Every five times it happened, I was like, I'm loving this. <laughs> for bad parts, there weren't that many. <laughs> <laughs> only thing is like transcripts are very tedious and if you don't like listening yes. to yourself trust me oof. yeah if you don't like listening to yourself talk transcripts is like you're gonna hear yourself over and over mm-hmm. and over again saying the exact same thing and you're like oh my god please mm-hmm. <laughs> like just say it right yeah and just stop just stop right there yeah. stop talking. And let them speak <laughs> but yeah that's so it's not that bad when it comes to bad things. Yeah. And, like, anything I'd wish I'd do differently is maybe manage my time a bit more. Um, I had a lot going on, but there was this ultimate goal of making articles to promote these podcasts and even – and also um, kind of compile some of the information that, that was given to me. Because one of our questions was, um, what advice would you give for students interested in engineering or um, a recent graduate? How could they make their – uh, work better and how can they excel in the field and I thought some of the advice they gave was so important that I should compile it because people need it it's a good resource but I never I never got around to doing it because I ran out of time in the end so that's one thing I wish yeah. I did differently so don't forget time management it's huge mm. <laughs> especially in projects where you're just kind of left alone to do whatever yeah all right so this is a story <laughs> Let me, let me, let me take you back to the end of August, 2021. So a week ago. (laughs) No. Yeah, right? (laughs) Let's rewind time a week. (laughs) Honestly, yeah, it was about a week ago. Maybe, well, maybe two weeks ago now. Doesn't matter. So this happened pretty well close to the end of my internship. I think at the, the, the Friday before my last week it happened. And I want to preface this by saying that, like, the whole time I was at Banting House, again, being a diabetic, I, I knew what the place meant. Like, I, I had a good understanding of why it was a really important, you know, site for history and everything and what it meant to people and, and that sort of stuff. What it meant to, to people with diabetes today as sort of like a community hub that way and, and, and a connector and all that sort of stuff. I, I understood that on, like, a theoretical way, in a, in a, theoretical, in, in a theoretical way, if that makes sense. But... Then I had a tour on the Friday before my last week, and holy cow, this was nuts. So, okay, so so this family came up for a tour, and it felt like any other tour, I could, you know, I let them in, and I, I, uh, I always ask my tours whether or not anyone has any connection to diabetes, just to know throughout the tour. And the teenager in the group, there's a teenager, parents, a, a grandparent, and a, and a little brother, like a wee little brother, seven years old. So the teenager raised his hand and he pulled out a pump. And, and for those who don't know, a pump is a way that you can deliver insulin as, as a person with diabetes. And it, it's very helpful when you're a diabetic. So he pulled out a pump and he was like, yeah. And I was like, cool, me too. And I pulled out my pump and we were like, cool, this is awesome. Pump bros. You know, <laughs> we're best friends now. It's fine. So uh, I said, okay, that's great. <laughs> and then um, I took them through the museum. And as we were going through... Felt like just like a fun tour. It was good. They asked a lot of questions. They were really, really engaged the whole time. Literally any artifact I showed them, they were down for. Even like silver from when the queen visited one time, which is cool. But you know what I mean? <laughs> just like that, like that, it's a cool artifact, but like they were into it and it was great. And it was, it was awesome. I never had such an engaged tour before. And so it was just, it was a good tour regardless. And we went through the various rooms and close to the end of the tour is when we show people Banting's bedroom, which I referenced earlier. Because, you know, it's kind of our, our claim to fame. This is this is the room at Banting House. So this is the room where it happened. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway, so we get to the room and I sort of, I shovel them inside. I tell them about it, give a bit of a spiel. And there's this moment where I'm like, where I, where I explain to them what I, what, I, what I always explain to other people as well is that this room is obviously very impactful for, for particularly people who, with diabetes or people who know people who have diabetes, parents of, of diabetics, that sort of thing. It's just a really powerful space. And I had heard stories from Grant, the curator, of times where, many times, 
where he's had tourists come through and and just such emotional experiences you know, people crying people just feeling in the space and just 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 feeling what it has to offer and everything and, and these really emotional reactions and i had never had one yet uh while i was at banding house i had some some people who were really interested and, and felt sort of the power of the room but no overly emotional ones but this tour it was really really incredible it was essentially the moment started where i said something and the mom looked at me and i could sort of just see that her eyes were a little watery and 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 glassy and so I thought, okay, so she's probably, you know, uh, pretty emotional right now. And then I can just tell that they're puttering around the room. It's not a very big room. It's a bedroom. It's a very small room. And I can just tell they're sort of like puttering, just sort of not leaving yet. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to go stand over there. So I walk down the hallway a little bit to the entry of, of the next gallery that, that I would bring them through and just sort of wait, let them have a moment, you know? And it was at that moment that I heard a bunch of just sort of sniffles and, uh, light sobs and at first i was like okay so i gave the mom her space to to you know cry and then i i sort of i wasn't eavesdropping of course but i just sort of kept listening and there was also the dad and the grandmother and the 15 year old <laughs> with, with with diabetes and it was this moment where like this whole family just took a second to just have a collective cry with each other in the middle of this room and it was just, it was just really powerful. And I was fine with it. Like, I wasn't uncomfortable or anything. I was just sort of standing there waiting for it to be over. And it was just so sweet and so genuine and, and fantastic. And the, the, the thing that happened next was that the little brother, the little seven-year-old guy, I just hear him pipe up saying, why are you guys crying? <laughs> <laughs> to which, I, to, to which, to which the mom responds, well, we're, these aren't sad tears. We're happy. Banting's our hero. Because he saved your brother's life. And it was at that moment when I just thought to myself, I was like, oh yeah, now I get it. I finally get it. <laughs> I get why this place matters. You know, uh, not in an abstract way, not in a, like a way where I'd read in a, in a reading and raise my hand in a seminar and talk about it or something. Like this, like I experienced it, you know. I, I totally get why this place matters. So that was a lot <laughs> and a, a really fitting way to, to uh almost on my internship i know i had a week after but like at the end of my of my internship to have this experience it was very very cool mm -hmm. uh, and very moving so yeah. that was that was my story it's so a lovely let's fast story forward <laughs> let's fast forward in time to a week late to two weeks late to today yeah it wasn't that long ago but that's fine yeah so there's that and then in terms of in terms of any difficulties or anything I wish I did differently, I don't want to say I was great at it, but I don't... Really... I was perfect. I would make no changes. <laughs> but also, I wouldn't really make any changes necessarily. It wasn't, wasn't that like, you know, there, there wasn't a lot that, that didn't go to according to plan. And the stuff that did go according to plan, I didn't really have control over and, yeah. and all that sort of stuff, you know? So it wasn't bad that way. Nice. Yeah. Love that for you. Yeah, I don't know, man. It was great. <laughs> All right. That's cool. All right. Now, we have technically gone over the... We're only supposed to record 60 minutes. Blah, blah, blah. I'm actually supposed to be the one in charge of that. Blah, blah, blah. Um, <laughs> anyway. But we'll just do one last question, which is... It doesn't. It just needs to be casual because you're gonna hear from us all fall. You're gonna know what we're up to. We love to. We love to goss at the beginning. You know. But what's next for all of us? We I realize all four of us have very different what's nexts, aside from the podcast, which is obviously important to all of us. But we all have like different falls coming up, so we don't have to go in the what? same order. Do you want to go in reverse order this time? <laughs> sure, Patrick, you can start. Okay, well, what's going on this fall? Well, I've talked about this before. I'll be at Western. I'm the only one from our program doing the 16 month option for the public history program. So I'll be back for one last semester. Uh, that semester is for me to write what's called a cognate paper, which is just a silly word for a thesis that doesn't get a defense. So I'm writing a 50 page paper based on research that I do. Uh, and it's about uh, the experiences of, of uh, black Western alumni. Uh, well, from their time at Western. So they were Western students in terms of their experiences, but they are now alumni. And it's a, it's a project about sort of 
recognizing and acknowledging Western's legacy with racism, all that sort of stuff. Uh, uh, also acknowledging sort of the resistance that that uh, Black Western students have have done for themselves, and also just looking at their experiences in general, just what it was like for a, a, a Black student on a university campus in in Canada or Ontario, um, and that sort of thing. So, so yeah, that's my fall. I'm writing a paper, playing video games, hanging out with myself and my my partner who I love very much. There you go. Yeah, um, so I'm continuing to follow my love for sharing history and going back to school as well to get a teaching degree. Ooh. Yeah. She's going to have three degrees, y'all. Y'all. <laughs> yeah, a little Ooh. too much, but maybe it'll help in the long run <laughs> because I am looking to uh, teach history and social science in uh, high school. So I have the art history background, indigenous studies, and now public history. So Hopefully all three will come together and make a beautiful teachable baby for me. <laughs> so I have two years of that, and I'm sure you guys will hear all about it, what Teachers College is like. Let me know if you have any questions about us, DM us anytime, because um, oh, yeah. I'll be discovering it at the same time as you guys. <laughs> yeah, you got this. I guess it's my turn now. Yeah. My God. Okay. <laughs> <sighs> This is a tough one because, like, okay, so I'm still doing my internship, still doing my thing until November. I don't know until, like, September, like, late September, October, uh, if my contract's getting extended or what I'll be doing. So, I mean, I've also got some fun stuff on the on the back burner, not work-related, that I'm going to be doing in the next couple months. Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to share it. I'm working on... I'm just going to say I'm working on a kind of project for um, the Canadian Country Music Awards, weirdly enough. I am not... Super cool. <laughs> That's all I can say about it right now. But oh, once... Uh, spill the yeah, tea. Yeah, once that tea is cooled down a little bit, I she can share it. She loves country music. spill it for you. Um, but yeah, so that's been really cool. I'm, I'm a real big folk fan, but not a country fan. So it's been a, a real education for me. Uh, and of course, doing this podcast and my work podcast that I'm doing. So... I'm also just ho- hoping, I didn't get a whole lot of downtime this summer, so I'm really hoping, you know, to, like, get some camping done and that kind of stuff, Ooh. but, yeah, currently, I'm just kind of going where, going where, uh, the, the river takes me, I guess, so, yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah, very similar vibes over here. Uh, I, I mentioned it on a story one day, but, um, I am technically currently unemployed, living that, unemployed, living in my parents' house life. Yes. I mean, same. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm on the job hunt currently. If you guys want any advice from me, I I should say my advice hasn't won't lead anywhere as of right now. But if you want to know what I'm doing, like the the ways I'm trying to look for jobs and stuff, shoot us a DM, or maybe I'll make a post about it. We'll find out. Um, also, uh, DM Skillshare for us because I'd like them to sponsor us because I'm currently using Skillshare. Again, this is not paid. Sadly, I'm paying Skillshare, but if they want to sponsor us, that'd be great. Uh, but I'm using Skillshare to learn more things, mainly the Adobe programs. So like InDesign, Illustrator, Photoshop, they're just helpful to have. And also I need to fill my days with something because I get really bored very easily. <laughs> so Skillshare, sponsor us. That's just, I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to get us payment here. Oh Yeah. Uh, Here, we I'm can do an ad for it right now. <laughs> Katie's pumping out the reels. I oh, God, say. you are. All I do is film reels. And we currently, God, we've gone so long, but we currently have construction men in my house every day, and I'm terrified one of them is going to see me filming a reel. Anyway. <laughs> you should get one to be in a reel. That'd be great. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, but I film lots of reels, so keep your eyes peeled for that. Loving my reels lately is so fun. But yeah, my life, like Liz, kind of like Liz's, yours is a little more solidified, very up in the air. I'll keep you guys updated. We'll we'll do fun things together. It'll be great. Heck In the yeah. meantime, you're going to get a million reels from me, just daily. Follow us on TikTok. I post so many there. Amazing. But in general, though, I hope the listeners get from this episode is history can take you anywhere. As you saw from our internships, yes. all very different so it's just a, a taste yeah. of the world that we're jumping into and hopefully you yourselves. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We have a whole season planned, guys. It's going to oh, be yes. fun. We have some fun episodes coming up. 
Oh, boys. Got a lot planned. It's going to be great. But uh, no spoilers yet, other than the spoiler that you get to meet Mike next week. So, per- or the week after next, I guess, technically. So prepare yourselves. Yeah, but new episode every other Monday, so keep your eyes peeled. Make sure to like. Well, okay, you can't like podcasts, but you can subscribe and you can share it to a friend. You can give us a review. And on that note, we will see you on the flippity flop. Ah! <laughs> Talk about on him. Mike was just like, no. Mike said, I don't know. Whoa, you should see the audacity thing for that. It is like this. I'm not listening to that part. Digital Dust is recorded on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabek, Haudenosaunee, Lenapawak, and Attawandering peoples, on lands connected with the London Township and Somber Treaties of 1796 and the Dish with One Spoon Covenant Wampum. This land continues to be home to First Nations peoples, Métis people, and Inuit people, whom we recognize as the contemporary stewards of the land and waters we are on today. Digital Dust is hosted and produced by Elizabeth Edwards, Katie Gaskin, Patrick Kingen, and Robin Marshall. Sound design by Elizabeth Edwards. Audio transcription by Katie Gaskin. Our theme music is by Mattias Miller. <laughs>